You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Today, part two of a series that we're calling Foundations. Foundations, this series is massively important in the life of our spiritual family. And if you're new to us, man, just welcome in, okay? You're gonna hear what this house is all about. If you're like checking us out, here we go, okay? And the reason that this series is so important is because God's made it really, really clear um, that this word foundations is gonna mark us for this next season, this next kind of year as we follow Jesus in 2022. And, and here's why, because we're working as a church or as a gathering of people, we're working on two different uh, very important foundations. First, we're working on a physical foundation of a new property, all right? We bought a building, or better yet, God provided miraculously a building, all right? And so we're working on the physical foundation of that, make some big strides across 2022, hoping towards a move-in date at some point in history. All right, there we go. I defined it like that, okay? Um, and so we're going to be taking strides. And we're, dude, we're fired up, all right? Big stuff happening. We're excited. God's going to use that. Um, but that's not like our hope's not in a building. It's just not, okay? But we're excited. That's one foundation. There's a second foundation that we're working on, and that is the spiritual foundation of our house, okay? And so here's the statement that we've been living up under, all right? If the spiritual foundation of the house is not stable, it doesn't matter how stable or beautiful the physical foundation is. You catch that? All right, I pause there for dramatic effect. Um, that's why, all right? If the spiritual foundation of the house is not stable, it doesn't really matter how beautiful or how stable the physical foundation is, okay? And let me just say this. Like, I'm saying that for our church family, like the gathering of believers, um, but it's true at your house too. I don't care how pretty your two-story is. Your marriage can be broke. All right, if, if you're not building your life on the foundation of Jesus, okay? I felt real for some people. That wasn't in my notes, but like Holy Spirit maybe said that to somebody, okay? So in this new year, we're spending some very intentional time um, working on the foundation of the church. Not the building, but the people, you and me. And so one of the ways that God's doing that, we're kind of like we're most together is in our gatherings. And so we're using this series, Foundations. We're talking about the essentials of faith, your faith and mine, and family spiritual family. How do we do this thing together? So if you got a copy of scripture, New Testament, Ephesians 4, whether you got a hard or digital copy of scripture, we're basing out of there today. So you can turn there. If you don't have a copy, all good. We'll put some verses on the screen behind me or from wherever you are gathering today. Um, now, as you're turning there, let me give you a recap of last week because it is super important to know last week before you know this week, all right? Last week, we started by reading some verses from Ephesians 2, and we began laying the foundation for the foundation series, okay? And I said two things from Ephesians 2 last week. If you were here, you need a refresher. If you weren't here, you just need to know, okay? We said these two things. One, Jesus is the foundation of the church, okay? Not, not the preacher, not the staff, not the big giver, Jesus. He's the foundation of the church. He's the cornerstone. Second, we're the church, like not a building. Paul didn't give an address, a service time, like where grandma goes. No, he said like, it's you. Like if Christ is in you, and a lot of us would go, he's in me, we're it. Like we, we are the church. And so why are those two things massively important, that Jesus is the foundation and we're the church? Because of this. Here's why. If, if God's going to do any great move or work through his church, and a lot of us are like, man, come on, God, do something. Listen, it starts with you and me because we're it. Like if, if anything powerful is going to happen through God's church, it don't happen in a building. It happens in a people. Or we could say it this way. Um, a healthy, powerful church is not made up of a beautiful building, but it's made up of obedient people. You with me? And so like we're saying, come on, Jesus, okay? But what we really better be doing is like, come on, Jesus, like in me, start it in me. 
And so that's where we kind of started last week. And last week, here's what we said. We talked about the, the sign of a healthy house, a healthy church, is a spirit-dependent people. If you remember that, like just nod with me a little bit, the three people who are here, it's good, okay? Not a spiritually indifferent people. And we said if we're real, a lot of us kind of slid to that. Like we do the thing, but we don't really give a rip. That's indifference all right, in Rankin County terms. And so we said, hey, let's not be those people. But let's like, like let's, it, it matters. Like it's eternity altering. And so God help us to daily, not just Sunday for an hour, but help us to daily live in spiritual dependence on you. So that's where we started last week. Today, we're going to second part of the foundation, all right? And listen, this is for everybody. For some of you in the family, you're going to feel this. Some of you kind of new to our family. You're like, oh, it's not for me because I'm not in the family. No, this is everybody, okay? Because whether you're like really connected here, you're new here, or you're part somewhere else and you're just hanging out today, all right, this is true for us because you are the church, okay? So here's the second part of the foundation. Here's where we're headed. Foundation of a healthy church is where every person is a participator, Okay, write that down. Everything's coming out of that. The foundation of a healthy church is where every person, every person, is a participator. Let me uh, kind of lay some foundation and shoot straight. I'm convinced that many churches today, many gatherings of people, all right, who proclaim to love Jesus, man, we're just getting it wrong. The church in general today has lost a lot of its influence. And many churches today are being less and less effective at reaching people. I said it, all right? Many churches today, they're in decline, and then there's a whole bunch of others that are just filled with people who are just going through the motions, and they're not really in awe of what Jesus is doing in them or through them. And like, that's just kind of where we are. And I believe today, this is a little bit of opinion, all right, a little bit of fact, I believe in many ways we're not fully living according to the biblical model of how a church should function. So what I want to do today is I want you to look with me at a powerful passage, not my words, but God's word to us about what does it look like to be a healthy house, all right, of Jesus. So there's going to be three truths because on my note takers, you need all three. I got you. I'm giving you all three, okay? Here we go. Ephesians 4, verse 7, pick up with me. Paul writes, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Stop right there, okay? Three truths today from Ephesians 4. First is this, every believer is a minister, Hmm? Yep. Every believer is a minister. Verses three through six, we didn't read it, but Paul, he's writing about the unity of the church. Verse seven, he shifts gears and he begins to talk about how God has designed the church, the gathered believers, to function. And he says, Jesus has apportioned, divvied out, a rich variety of spiritual gifts. And he has given each one of these gifts of grace to every single believer in the church. Paul says, verse seven, to each one of us, grace has been given. Now, Paul used this same form of this word grace um, in the previous chapter, and he said, hey, God's given me grace to preach good news to the Gentiles. So catch this, there's a difference. In this moment, Paul's not talking about grace that saves us. That is true, that is right, we believe in that, okay? But here, he's talking about a special God-given ability to serve, or he's saying it this way, Paul is essentially saying to each one of us, a ministry has been given. All right, that's the part I want you to catch. To each one of us, to you, to me, to the person to your right and left, a ministry has been given. Every believer isn't a pastor, but every believer is called into ministry. 
God calls all followers of Jesus to minister to the world and within the church. Therefore, ministry and serving within the church with our gifts isn't optional for followers of Jesus. It's just like, it's what we do. Because like, that's, that's it, okay? As followers of Jesus, what should we be doing? Well, we should be growing in Christ's likeness. Like if we're following him, we should slowly be becoming more like him. Well, what was Jesus like? Scripture tells us. There's one defining verse. Uh, Ephesians 4 is not it, but Mark 10 is it. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served. What did he do? Well, he came but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus, the Holy Son of God, Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, he came to the brokenness of all this chaos, not going, hey, looking for some people who'll serve me. But he says, hey, I I'm, I'm came to, to serve, to demonstrate, to model, to give my life as a ransom for many. And I know um, what some of you are thinking. You're like, I'm, I'm not a minister. Like, hold on, bro. Like, I didn't go to seminary. I ain't been to one hour of one class. I, I, I don't preach, never worked at a church. And if I was honest, I don't even know how to name all the books of the Bible. Okay, listen, that's your opinion of your position. Let me give you the truth of your position, all right? Here's the biblical truth about your position if you would say, I'm in Christ, okay? And I'm about to give you, it's coming fast. It's gonna be a lot. I don't know if you'll be able to take notes, but I'm just painting the picture for you about the biblical truth of your position and mine in Christ. You ready? You are created for ministry. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works which God already prepared in advance for you and me to do. You have been saved for ministry. 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a, to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. You've been called into ministry. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, your royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may do what? That you may declare, all right, there's an act there, the praises of him who did what? Called you. You with me? We're only on verse three. I got a lot. Here we go. Out of darkness into his wonderful light. You've been called to ministry. You've been gifted for ministry. First Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. We all got one? Yep. If you in Christ, you got one to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You're authorized for ministry. Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and he said, I got all power in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. Therefore, do this. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's an action. Go and serve. Go and make disciples of all nations. You and I are commanded to minister. Matthew 20, verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. You serve. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. All right? Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, remember, same verse, Mark 10, 45, just reworded, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A few more, you're prepared for ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we're gonna look at it again in a second. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to do what? To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You and I, guess what? You are needed for ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a what? Part of it. You are accountable for ministry and you will be rewarded for your ministry. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you will what? Since you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will minister. Welcome in. 
If you in him, you in. Like you, you, you can't take that title off. You, you are in him. God has equipped you with the grace of a gift and called you into ministry, but it's your responsibility to use it. Okay? What's a, what's a healthy house look like? Good, a good, healthy church. Well, the foundation of a healthy church is where every believer is a minister. If you in Christ, you in the ministry. Here we go, all right? You can park in a clergy parking spot at the uh, parking garage at the hospital, okay? You might not want to do that, but I'm just saying, all right? Tell them your preacher told you, all right? Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get down to verse 11. We read this just a second ago, but let's read it again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the second truth that's going to blow somebody's mind. Get ready, okay? A pastor and church staff's job is not the work of ministry. Write it down. Stop looking at me like I got three heads, okay? <laughs> a pastor and church staff's job is not the work of ministry, all right? I see some of you looking at me crazy. Okay, let me explain it. I got reasoning. Paul says God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what purpose? Not to do the work of ministry, but to prepare God's people for the work of service or of ministry, the role of a pastor or a church staff, if you will, is not to do the work of ministry, but it's to prepare and equip God's people, the church, to do the work of ministry. Now, I'm a pastor, so I can say this stuff, speak real, okay? Unfortunately, over time, especially in our nation, particularly in kind of our little section of the country, there's a lot of churches who developed a really unhealthy view of the role of a pastor, Okay? Can I shoot straight today? If I can, just nod. All right, cool. I was doing it anyway. Late theologian, late theologian John Stott, he said it this way. Many people's idea of church is a bus where there's one bus driver, the pastor, and many drowsy passengers who only ring the bell and say, it's time for me to get off. I think John was on to something. But what I'm saying today is that's not the healthy model for what a church is supposed to be. The biblical model of how Paul laid it out, how Jesus laid it out of a healthy church is God-ordained leaders equipping surrendered and obedient people to do the work of the ministry. Now, Ephesians 4 that we just read kind of gives us a job description of a pastor. Okay, now there's other places in scripture that add on to this, but today we're going to look at just Ephesians 4. There are two primary things I think that Ephesians 4 points to that a pastor is supposed to do. So if a pastor isn't doing these two things, they're not doing their job. All right, so like kind of what I'm about to do is I'm, I'm like laying out my biblical job description in front of you and you might shoot holes in it. I don't know. Okay, here we go. Two things that Paul lays out. The first role of a pastor is to teach. All right, the, the role of faithful teaching of God's word is absolutely essential to the gathering of a, a family of believers. Okay, like teach the word, apply the word. Now, here's where I get real honest. Okay, let me tell you though how this plays out. For too many churches um, in our nation, our state, and I've watched it even in our own city. You ready? The pastor is expected to teach the word and to do most or all of the work of the ministry. Well, how does that play out? Well, he looks like this. He looks like the dude at the circus. Remember the guy at the circus who spins the little plates on the, on the little stick? Okay, like multiple plates. And he goes over here and spins this one. He goes over here and spins this one. The guy go back and spin this one, make sure it's fast enough. And he's done another one, another one. All right. 
I am stressed out of my mind when that dude does that, okay? All right, because it's like, man, who, what, what plate is dropping? For, like, we about to crash something. It, a plate's going down. And here's what I'm saying, okay? In too many churches, that's what the pastor looks like. He's doing everything, but he's doing very little well. Like, the ministry doesn't really get completed because he can't do it by himself, and he's not really fully, completely teaching the true word of God because he's doing more than he was ever supposed to do in the first place. And he looks like the dude at the circus. And here's just fact, not my opinion, fact. As a result, 38% of U.S. pastors thought about giving up on ministry last year. 38% of pastors in our nation were in God we trust thought about hanging it up last year. Now, I'm, I'm excited to tell you that your pastor ain't one of those. I'm as fired up and passionate about teaching the clear biblical word of God as I ever have been, all right? So hear me, I'm not complaining today. I'm just waking us up to the picture of what is. And I'm saying, may we never be that house. Let's build a foundation, live on a foundation, strengthen the foundation so we don't ever get there. That, that's where I wanna be. That's, that's who I'm calling us up to be. So the first role of pastors to what? Teach. Second role of pastors to do what? Well, according to Ephesians 4, is to prepare God's people for ministry. One of the primary roles that I have, one of the primary roles that our exchange staff team has is to mentor, train, support, encourage, equip, cheerlead you to use the gifts that God has given you in his grace to do the ministry that God's called you to in his church. That's it. Like, that's, that's one of our primary roles. So let me just say it this way. If as your leaders, we're not equipping you to do the work of the ministry, we ain't doing our job. And I'm just saying, like, just behind closed doors to let you know, like, we take that real serious. We call our own selves into accountability on that. And I hope that you would hold us to accountability on that. Now, let me just kind of say this little side street about the and almost 10 people who serve you as your church staff, not me, right? I'm just their team leader, but I'm talking about our, our staff for a second. Man, it is some of the most passionate, loving, selfless, sacrificial people that I've ever been around. They didn't tell me to say this, I'm saying this. And they, they love you. And they, they labor over what pains you. And they... they or in frustration over the challenges that you have. And they want you to grow in Christ-likeness. Man, it's their desire. And they have literally, in this season, for however long God puts each one of them in the role, they, they have given their lives to serve you. But I'm saying to us today, or just me and you in a conversation as the church and the pastor, not the team, but it's not their role to do all or most of the work of the ministry. That's not what God's word says. So if we're going to be a healthy house, and that's what we after, that's what we build a foundation for, spiritual foundation matters more than physical, then the role of a pastor and church staff is not to do all the work of the ministry. That's the family, all right? Here we go. We got one more big point to make. Ephesians 4, 14. Go back, look at what Paul wrote. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, or the church, the family, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's what Paul's saying. Catch this. Starting in verse 14, Paul gives the result of what happens when every person is a participator. He's like, here's the picture. When every believer is a minister, here's what can happen. Here's the truth. We're going to state it, and then we'll talk about it. Through ministry, the church is matured and strengthened. All right, write that down. We'll talk about it. Through ministry, the church is matured and strengthened. Remember, the church is not what? It's not a building. All right, and where does the church start? Here. So what we're about to talk about is how you and I are matured and strengthened because whoever you are personally is who we really are together, okay? So through ministry, through being obedient to what we just talked about, the church is matured and strengthened. Verse 14, Paul compares the spiritual maturity of some people in the church to that of infants. Did you read that, verse 14? He says their lives, here's a result, two things. He says their lives are tossed back and forth, all right, by whatever happens to them in life, and they're blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Like they don't really know fully what to believe, whether that's really true or not. And he says, that's what happens. And as I read that this week, here's what I thought. Paul nailed it. Not just for the church at Ephesus like a couple thousand years ago, Paul nailed it for us. Like, like today, Paul was on top of that. And, and here's how I would say that, res- that shows itself, okay? Here's where the Bible connects with life today. You ready? There are tons of proclaiming Christians or um, good church-going people, we like to use that phrase in the South, who live life being tossed back and forth by life. That was the first thing Paul talked about, tossed back and forth, right? Plays out like this. Monday's good. I mean, it's a holiday. We didn't have to go to work. It was great, okay? Slept in a little bit. Tuesday, oh goodness, work goes bad, kid misbehaves, spouse or parent take us off and all the world falls apart. And Paul says, that's actually a sign of immaturity because there is no stability. It's just like, woo, wherever life takes me, okay? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but some of you just went like, whoop, that's me, okay? And and Paul says, like, that's a a sign of immaturity in our faith. What was the second thing he said? They said there's a second, like, way that this is seen. He says they're blown here and there by every wind of teaching. In other words, they don't know fully what to believe. Can I get real for a second? This is one of the ways this plays out in our culture today. Um, We share memes and posts all over social media as proclaimed followers of Jesus. They're like completely counter to any biblical truth. I said it. (laughs) Like, and here's, here's the deal. Listen, often we share it, reshare it, post it, whatever. We just don't know better because we don't live in the word. Therefore, we don't know what to believe and what not to believe. If it's true, if it's not true, whether we should share it or not, but it feels right in the moment, tickles our ear, so we share it, but it may not even been in line with God's word. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. I know I'm in somebody's business, just listen. Here's what Paul's saying. That's a reflection of immaturity in Christ. So what he's saying here is, in summary, on many levels in our faith, we are immature and weak. And that's convicting for you and for me, okay? 
So in many ways, our faith journey kind of looks like a newborn child. Track with me. What can a newborn baby do for themselves? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, all right? And for like literally the first three, four, really five years of their life, they are almost just like so dependent on a mom and dad, correct? Okay, like to feed them, to clothe them, to bathe them, to take them to the bathroom, to make every decision for them. They are just solely dependent on that parent, okay? And we've all been there at some point because everybody starts as a kid, right? And by God's grace, we got to where we are today. Praise the Lord, somebody took care of us, okay? Now, here's my question for us to wrestle with in light of what Paul said. But when does a person really hit a new level of maturity? The goal as a kid is not to stay as a kid, but it's to grow up, be mature, okay? When, when is that, okay? We could just debate that for a second. And I'm the only one with a microphone, so I get to kind of debate myself, all right? It could be when they, they're a teenager. <laughs> no, that's not it, okay? Not at all, all right? Yes, like that was not, okay? Easy win there, okay? Uh, it's when they get their driver's license. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. Like super quick, you've been driven on Highway 80 or I-20 at any point, okay? All right, let's just pick out all the student drivers, okay? We all know, okay? Um, it's when they go to college. <laughs> okay, I got a college kid in my house, so I'm gonna walk delicately on that line right there, but just that's not the real level of maturity, okay? Uh, it's when they get married. Eh, maybe, okay, like a li- little bit, okay? But spouses could debate that, okay? Um, I would argue today that one of, one of the greatest new levels of maturity that we reach, all right, is when that child grows up and at some point they have a child, All right, some parents are now with me. The moment that you hold that child in your arms for the very first time, like the first one, you go, oh my goodness, life is no longer about me. My world no longer revolves around me. Hunting season is going to look a little bit different. My shopping trips are going to be fewer. All right, not gonna get to scroll social for five hours anymore. You with me? Because at that moment, all right, you realize my life is now going to serve another life, okay? And hear me, for some of you, if, if you haven't had kids or maybe you don't have kids, I'm not saying that's the only way you reach maturity, okay? Maybe it's when people up under you at your work and you're now responsible for them or other people in your family that now depend on you wherever you are in life, okay? New level of maturity right there. And, and here's the thing, it doesn't matter how old you are as the parent or the leader at your workplace or the a person in your family where people depend on you, doesn't matter how young you are, at that moment that people become dependent on you, you grow up in maturity. Whether you want to or not, like it just happens. So here's what I'm saying. I believe that's exactly why Paul puts this analogy about a child in the middle of verses about people serving and ministering. Stay with me. He says that in our faith journey, we can begin to live just for ourselves. And that's a sign of immaturity and weakness. We can make it about making sure that we have our needs met, that we like the preaching, that the music's the kind we like, that the kid ministry is the kind we prefer, that the service time works in our weekend schedule. I could go on. And here's what I'm saying. We can completely miss that just looking out for ourselves simply makes us immature and weak in our faith. Okay, that's heavy. There's an antidote. Paul gave the hopeful side. He said, you don't have to stay there. There's a road to maturity. And he lays it out. You ready? He says, when faithful, obedient, spiritual leaders equip 
faithful, obedient, spiritual people to do the work of ministry, here's what can happen. You don't have to stay in immaturity and weakness. Here's what can happen when everybody's working together, every person is a participator. Ephesians 4 verse 15, pick it up. He says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He said, we can mature. Verse 16, for from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says there's a road to maturity. Like there's a way that you can get there, and that is to use your gift of grace to serve the church in response to how Jesus served you. And one of the main ways that we grow in maturity is to realize our role as a minister and to use our gifts to serve others. And I love how Paul ended verse 16. We read it just a second ago. He says that the church grows and builds itself up in love. Here's the phrase, as each part does its work. As each part does its work. What you saying, Paul? I'm saying that every part, every person matters. Every one of them? Every one of them. The young ones? Yep. The one who just got to know Jesus? Yep. The one who's been following for 40 years? Yep. The body's built up, matured, strengthened when each part does its work. Did you know, zooming down to our level, did you know that it takes right at 100 people being ministers in this house every single week for the ministry to happen. 100 people. Some of y'all didn't know 100 people coming here, all right? There's a bunch of them, okay? 100 people serving in their God-given calling for moments. That, like, like there's 100 people who serve this week and some even right now so that you can be fed and gathered together as a church. 100 people. It's people like Kyle and Haley. They're a young couple who both work full-time but for years, they have served our exchange preschoolers in our little life, and they share Bible stories every week and snack time and lead music and hang out and laugh with kids so that they understand that God loves them because we're matured and strengthened when each part does its work. There's people like Shannon. Shannon's a single mom, and she works a full-time job, and she often pulls late night hours on Saturday night, like till midnight. But every week, she shows up to hang out with and teach the truth of Jesus to our elementary kids and kid life, and she's doing it right now. Because why? Because we're, we're matured and strengthened when each part does its work because every part matters. So there's like Alyssa. Alyssa, she's a wife and mom of an elementary student. She works at a daycare, but she knows she has a heart for junior high and high school students. And so every Wednesday night, Alyssa gives two hours of her week to come hang out with junior high and high school girls to pour her life in them. Not because somebody begs her to, but because she knows that God uses her to help sharpen and strengthen those girls to grow to be more like Jesus. And she knows that we're matured and strengthened when each part does its work. Well, there's people like Sean and Stacy. They're a married couple who work full-time jobs. Sean works in the coffee industry, and so he and Stacy choose to show up every Sunday almost an hour before everybody else so that they can prep the coffee so that you can enjoy it when you get here because we're matured and strengthened when every part does its work. Or there's people like Alvin. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a grandfather. But once a month, he shows up with his wife and her cleaning team to help clean windows and vacuum floors and scrub toilets, and Alvin serves along with dozens of other people on our cleaning team to help make our, our building the most welcoming environment for when you and I walk in on Sundays and we don't even think about it. 
And they save our church thousands of dollars every single year because they said, you know what? We're better, like we're matured and we're strengthened when each part does its work. So I'm going to do my work. And there's people like Matt. Matt's a young adult guy, just got engaged, who has experience in the medical field from his background in the military. And every week, Matt shows up at 7.30 a.m., rain, sleet, snow, whatever it is, to help set up our parking lot and to get the building ready so that you and I can gather on Sundays. Oh, yeah, and then he hangs around to be a part of our medical team in case somebody needs medical attention at any point during the morning. And he understood that, hey, you know what? Like, we're better, we're mature, we're strengthened when each part does its work, which means that I'm a part and I need to do my work because every member is a minister. And as every part does its work, the body of Christ is built up, and that's what makes a faithful, healthy house. I want to paint you a picture. It's people like Danny. Danny's a husband. He's a dad. He works at one of our local news stations, and God's given, given him a, a gift and a love for technology. So Danny serves every single week almost with our tech team to make our online gathering possible for hundreds of people to gather, whether it's right now or at any point during the week. In fact, he's serving right now so that those of you in our online gathering or whenever you're watching this, that this can come to you. Well, there's people like Carol. Carol's in his 70s, but he still works. And he says, God, I want you to use me. So he says, man, I can run a camera so that other people can hear about the truth and the hope of Jesus. And so Carol hops up on one of our camera stands and runs a camera a couple of times a month so that other people can hear about the hope and the love of Jesus. Or there's people like Abby and Morgan who are wives full-time workers, moms, but a couple times a month, they give five hours of their Sunday. Not because they get paid, but they give five hours so that they can use their gift of grace that they've been giving through their voice so that you and I can worship and know Jesus and think about him. There's people like Jonathan. Jonathan's a medical student. He's a husband. He's a dad of three girls, which means he's really, really busy. <laughs> and he has a gift of music. So a couple times a month, you know what Jonathan does in the midst of his ridiculously busy schedule? Jonathan uses his gift to play a musical instrument just like he did today. And he uses his gift from this stage to lead you and me so that we can sing and worship Jesus and to lead people in our online gathering so that you can sing and worship and know Jesus better. Can I tell you a story? One Sunday last year, when people just like Danny and Carol and Abby and Morgan, Jonathan, a whole bunch of other people, we're serving. There's a guy by the name of Tyler in Columbus, Mississippi, who joined our online gathering, just like some of you are right now. And Tyler joined our gathering. He was searching at that moment in life. He was asking questions, and he was looking for hope, maybe like some of you are today. And because the Holy Spirit's good, and he meets with us on that day through an online gathering, Tyler began to have his eyes opened, and he began to ask questions about his faith and his relationship with Jesus and on that day, God prompted Tyler to respond to one of our online counselors who began a conversation, who began a series of conversations to get to the point where Tyler surrendered and committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And a few weeks later, Tyler drove here from Columbus, Mississippi on a Sunday morning to stand in this room right over there to publicly declare his faith in Jesus through the baptism waters because he had surrendered his life to Jesus. And you see, we could, if the story ended right there, it, was, it would be awesome, right? Like, it was, that was good. I saw some of you, you're like, whoo, all right, so we wipe, wipe, okay. Listen, it would be powerful, and we go, come on, Jesus. Like, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. And come on, Tyler, way to go. And way to go, Jonathan and Abby and Morgan and, and Carol and Danny and all you, man, way to go. Awesome. 
And it would be a really, really good story. And it is a really good story. But you know what happened next? Tyler realized that if Jesus got a hold of his life and he became a child of God, then he realized he had a role in the family of God. And if he became a member of Christ's family, then all of a sudden, guess what title he wore? He was a minister of Christ's family. So you know what happens now? Every couple of weeks, Tyler gets on the other side of that screen, two and a half hours away from this place in Columbus, Mississippi, and Tyler serves as one of our online gathering hosts to share the hope and the love of Jesus just like somebody did for him. And what I'm saying to us today, church, and what I pray the Spirit is saying to you is that a healthy house is when every person is a participator. When every believer who says, I'm in Christ, wears the title of minister, and they live it out. And what the Word is saying to you today, no matter where you are in your faith, is saying this, that God has called you, He has equipped you, he has empowered you, he has authorized you, he has commanded you, and he will reward you for you using your time and your gifts and your life to be a minister of God to his people in his house. Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.